Well, normally we um, spend our summers in the Psalms. However, uh, we're going to be doing something a little different this month. For the next few weeks, we're going to break away from the Psalms uh, to spend some time sitting uh, with the sage, as it were. Um, as we dig into a book that we haven't touched yet as a church family, uh, the book of Proverbs. It's on page 527 in your uh, pew Bibles, if you'd like to turn there. Uh, Proverbs is, is part of what we call the wisdom books. Its neighbors are Job and Ecclesiastes. Um, all, all of these books giving us this unique perspective on who God is, how we relate to him, and life on this side of the cross. So Will, Will's going to come, and he's going to kick off our short series in Proverbs this, this month that we're going to spend in Proverbs. Uh, we'll be in Proverbs 1, uh, verses 1 through 7 this morning. Again, that's uh, page 527 in your pew Bibles. Dan is going to come now, and he's going to read the scriptures for us. Proverbs 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Dan. Uh, good morning. Uh, let me begin with a short quote. It should be on the screen so you can follow along. Uh, how do we handle life's problems? How do we deal with difficult people or uncomfortable situations? Uh, what do we say and how do we act? How do we express our emotions? I wonder if any of those questions have resonance with you from this past week, uh, maybe even this morning. Uh, daily, we're confronted with a whole host of choices and challenges, aren't we? Uh, what do we do? How do we do it? When do we do it? And we want to think about how we respond. We know that it matters. We know that it makes a difference. You see, we want to do life well, don't we? And we want to live well. We want to navigate life well. You'll see the rest of the quote there. The Bible has a word to describe the person who navigates life well. The word is wise. Now, where do we get that wisdom? How do we get that wisdom? How do we become wise? And what does it even look like? to be wise? Well, those are the sorts of questions that we grapple with in the book of Proverbs. And as John mentioned, we'll be spending the next few weeks uh, looking at the opening chapters of this book. And today, what we're going to start with is just a little bit at the beginning, the first seven verses. And they stand as a sort of introduction to the introduction. You see, if you, if you take a step back, the whole book of Proverbs, you can see it dividing into two big blocks, uh, chapters one to nine, 
and in chapters 10 to 31. This second block here uh, consists mainly of what we would know as Proverbs. And so here, for example, are some ones uh, that we might uh, be familiar with. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Uh, 16.9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or this, uh, I love the vivid image here, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Uh, See, the second half of the book of Proverbs is filled with Proverbs like these. Uh, But the first half, chapters 1 to 9, act as a sort of introduction, a little orientation, like a manual for understanding those Proverbs. Uh, We have to understand this introduction if we want to understand those Proverbs, if we want to apply them rightly. And what we're looking at this morning is a sort of introduction to that introduction. It sets it all up. It gives us a little glimpse into what wisdom actually is. It points us to something of our need for wisdom, why it is that we need it. And it sets our gaze on how it is that we get it. And so what we're going to do this morning is we'll work through that and see what these verses have for us. Uh, We'll look at the life of wisdom, uh, what the life of wisdom involves. Uh, We'll look at the need for wisdom, why it is that all of us really do need this wisdom. And we'll finish by looking at the foundation for wisdom. What is the starting point and the bedrock for being wise? And my prayer is that after we're done here, we will leave those doors perfectly wise. No, we won't. Not even close. But my prayer is that as we meditate on these verses, the Lord would instill in our heart of hearts the orientation we need, the fundamental heart orientation we need in order to live life well. That's our prayer. And so with that in mind, why don't we dive in then and start by looking at what this passage shows us of the life of wisdom. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. See, these Proverbs are intended to instill wisdom into us. Uh, Wisdom here, it's a rich word, but that's the object, that's the goal. It's to know wisdom, uh, in order to know wisdom, for the sake of knowing wisdom. Uh, Wisdom is a rich word. You'll see, as Dan read it, there's all sorts of different words alongside it. And wisdom stands as sort of almost like an umbrella term. And all those other words kind of unpack what wisdom is for us. Here's how one commentator puts it. Uh, The book of Proverbs opens by breaking up the plain daylight of wisdom into its rainbow of constituent colors. So you imagine the science experiment you do at school where you shine that white light into that piece of glass and then somehow, for some reason, it comes out as a rainbow, right? All the different colors of the rainbow. Well, a bit like that, all these different words we find in these verses show us something of what makes up wisdom. As we find in verse 2, wisdom, the life of wisdom, it involves learning and discipline. The word translated instruction here carries with it this sense of discipline and correction. And so you can kind of picture a school, or better still, try to picture a British boarding school, if you've seen them on the movies. You're there to learn. You're there to be shaped. And if you go wrong in either direction, what happens? Well, you're brought back on track. Uh, You have correction. Except here, the school isn't a boarding school or a school that we grew up in. This is the school of life. 
where we learn from others around us, learn from the situations we're thrust into, and we learn from our mistakes, and we learn even in the midst of our trials. Learning and discipline, that's what's involved in the life of wisdom. More than that, uh, we see insight and integrity. Verse 3, uh, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. See, the life of wisdom is able to see things as they are. They're able to recognize the true nature of the circumstances around them. There's a sort of depth of insight here, a depth of discernment. They understand what's going on, but that's paired with this integrity. And there's a moral dimension here as well. Uh, it's upright, moral, just. Uh, wisdom is good. It's not just this skill out there. It's good. Learning and discipline, uh, insight and integrity, but also balance and shrewdness, verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. Uh, we'll think about who the simple and the youth are in a moment, but already we see that uh, the life of wisdom considers a situation before jumping in. The one who is wise doesn't jump the gun without thinking about what they're getting themselves into. Uh, they have this understanding of, of how things relate. They get the bigger picture of what's going on. And then with that in mind, they can respond appropriately with purpose and tact. It's this multicolored picture of what the life of wisdom looks like. It's, it's intellectual, it's moral, it's practical. If you put it all together, it is the ability to live well. It's the ability to do life well in this world. And you can think of it this way. We love seeing people do things well. And you think of a master craftsman and how they're able to handle a piece of wood. It's beautiful. And you think of a musician playing their instrument. They're, kind of, they're at one with their instrument. So I'm told. I don't know. I have no experience of that. But it looks good, doesn't it? And you think of a ballet dancer oh, and the amount of composure and control they have over the movement of their body. You think of a sports player, able to read the field. They understand what's going on. They understand the bigger picture, and they know how to act accordingly. But it's not just things out there. It's closer to home as well. And we have people here in our midst who are just really good at doing things, really good at running a business, really good at making things grow in their gardens, really good at feeding the 5,000. Uh, we have people who are really good at things. And when we see them do that, when we see them apply that skill, we smile, don't we? Oh, we love it. They understand the environment that they're in. Uh, they thrive in that environment. Uh, they know how to act accordingly. Uh, they've grown through learning and discipline. They're able to do that area of life really well with skill. And what we find here is that wisdom then is being able to do that, but in life, in normal day-to-day -day life, having that kind of skill as you go about our lives, living well in this world. See, the world that we find ourselves in has been ordered by God. There is a particular order to it 
as determined by God. This is God's world. This is not like God only has remit over this little kind of religious bit of the world and everything else is up for grabs. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's God who has woven together the fabric of reality according to his design, according to his purposes. And so you think of a piece of wood, there is a grain to reality that you've got to follow. You've got to work with the grain. Or you think of a piece of newspaper. Uh, when you try to rip it in the wrong direction, what happens? It goes all over the place, right? But when you rip it in the right direction, it goes perfectly straight. See, those fibers have been pressed together in a particular way. And we need to recognize that. It's the same in reality. Uh, see, I think we're, we're, we're quite familiar with this when it comes to uh, the laws of physics and the physical world. Uh, when we go for a hike, we know that we should be careful if we're walking nearby a steep cliff. We tell our kids to be careful. We, we know how that works. Uh, when we're walking around in our neighborhoods, we know to be careful when we're crossing the road. Again, we tell our kids, look left, look right. And uh, we know how the world works. We abide by that kind of pattern. Well, what Proverbs shows us is that there is a way that the world is ordered. This is the same in life. And so there really is a way to live well as you think about our relationships with our family and with our friends. And there really is a way to live well as you think about our work and our words. And there really is a way to live well as we grapple with the realities of life and death. And these are all topics that the Proverbs cover. And so we see patterns in life. It really is the sober rather than the drunkard who usually go far in life. It is usually the cool-tempered rather than the hot-headed who last long in a workplace. It is usually the hard-working and not the lazy who gain success. And there is a way to live life, and the life of wisdom recognizes this. It submits to this. It cuts with the grain of reality rather than against it. It knows how to live life well in this world. But there's an important thing to note here. Because this doesn't guarantee that life will be smooth and easy as long as we do the right things. It's not like we kind of press a few buttons here, like one of those classic arcade games. You hit the right button mash combo, and then out comes a knockout blow in life. It's not that simple. Uh, John mentioned that uh, alongside the book of Proverbs, we have the book of Ecclesiastes, which explores in great depth how it really is possible to work intelligently, to work diligently, and yet to be confronted by futility. That happens. It really is possible, as we see in the book of Job, to live with integrity, with an uprightness of heart, and yet still be confronted with deep, deep suffering. That happens. See, the book of Proverbs doesn't promise that if you just do the right things, life will be plain sailing. But what it does do is it presents us with a world that has an order to it. Even in the midst of those trials, even in the face of those kind of difficulties. Uh, just take, for example, Proverbs 16.8. And actually, there's a whole host of Proverbs like this. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. 
You see what it's saying? It assumes that there will be those who commit injustice and yet will experience great prosperity. Good things do happen to bad people. But this is still God's world. There is still a pattern at work. And there is still a way to live well here, even in the midst of those injustices. And so as you consider what the life of wisdom looks like, this multicolored picture of the wise person, it's beautiful. And we want this for ourselves, don't we? I mean, in fact, I wonder which of the aspects we've looked at do you want to grow in the most? Learning and discipline, insight and integrity, balance and shrewdness. It doesn't promise a result, but we can see that the life of wisdom is beautiful. It's something that we want. It's something that we want for our kids. And it's also something that we need. You see, these opening verses, they don't just give us a glimpse of the life of wisdom. They also point us to the need for wisdom. See, in verses 4 to 6, it kind of sets out this whole spectrum of people who need to receive this wisdom. Uh, Verse 4, we saw the simple and the youth. Uh, The simple here aren't kind of unsophisticated. It's not a derogatory term like that. This is those who are gullible and naive. Uh, The youth are those who are inexperienced and immature. It's not a derogatory term. They just haven't lived enough life yet, and so they need to learn. That's at one end of the spectrum. At the other end, you have the wise. Verse 5, let the wise hear and increase in learning. Uh, The one who understands, obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, I wouldn't worry too much about the fine distinctions between a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise. I think what this is here is it represents uh, what you find in the book of Proverbs. The common feature there is that they're indirect sayings. So it's not like a math textbook where you just have these formula that they often feel like, words of the wise and riddles. But these are different, right? It's just a different genre. It's a different category. But the point is this. Even those with wisdom, even those who have understanding, what are they being called to do? Let them hear and increase in learning. See, wherever we kind of might place ourselves on this whole spectrum, chances are, None of us will draw the line behind us and think, well, I have maxed out on wisdom. No need for me, maybe for you. Wherever we are on that spectrum, we all need to grow. We all need this wisdom. And we see this all the more when we kind of get a gauge of how the whole book of Proverbs is pitched. You see, if you look down at verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Uh, Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Now, Josh will be taking us through these verses next week, but he's not here, so we can do whatever we want, and we can skip ahead. Uh, You'll see in the rest of this chapter, and actually in the following, if you want to flick through, you can have a look at the following chapters. It's all framed as a father, primarily framed as a father counseling his son. And when we grasp this, we can see something of the heart of Proverbs for us in the heart of a father for his son as he lifts his gaze to see the world outside. See, as his son prepares to enter into the world, what does the father want? He wants him to do life well. He's desperate for him to live well. He wants him to walk the path of wisdom. 
but he knows that he can't just download a bunch of rules of exactly what to do and when to do it. He knows it doesn't work like that. No, what does he long for? He longs for his little boy to grow up into a wise man, marked by learning and discipline, insight and integrity, balance and shrewdness, able to interact with the world around him in a wise manner, knowing how to appropriately apply the knowledge that he has, able to chart a course through life. He wants them to be wise. And so as we see something of that picture here, it gives us a sense of why we need it. See, it's not just limited to sons. All of us are confronted with a myriad of decisions, confronted with the complexities of life. And this was, this was brought home to me earlier this week. Our three-year-old is what you would call a verbal processor. Thought, words. Thought, words. Now, it's quite fun in moderation. And the other day, we were driving back from Canada, which means lots of hours in the car, which means lots of, word, lots of thoughts, lots of words. What is that? Why? Why did you do that? How does that work? When do we do this? Endless. Now, as a parent, you think it's quite nice, but of course, you're thinking, how is it possible that you have this many thoughts in this short space of time? But it hit me. Life is complicated, isn't it? See, the world is ordered. There is an order to the world, but the world isn't simple. The world is very complicated. There's all sorts of things that confront us day by day. This is how uh, Tim Keller puts it. Uh, wisdom is not only for deep thinkers. It is how you get through daily life. It helps you know what to do when your child comes home from school with a black eye, or when you suddenly come into unexpected money, or when you lose your job. But what do you do that won't make things worse? And see, in all these kinds of situations, we, know we can't just wait for specific instructions and just twiddle our thumbs and wait. Okay, I'll just wait for someone to tell me exactly what to do. No, we have to, we have to respond. And we know we can't just memorize instructions because oftentimes things are different to what we anticipated them to be. Just think of when you're cooking with a recipe book. You know, it all makes sense on paper. And what if your chicken doesn't look like that chicken? You need to work out what to do. We can't just memorize these rules. See, there are things in life that are crystal clear. And we know some of those, don't we? You know, should we murder the person that's annoying to us? Okay, let's try that again. Should we murder the person who's annoying to us? No. Okay, good. The nervous laughter is a bit... Oh, okay. uh, there are things that are clear, crystal clear. And yet there are lots and lots of things that aren't so clear. And so we need wisdom. We all need wisdom. Who of us here will declare that we do not need this kind of wisdom? I wonder, as you think about this and reflect on your specific circumstances, where do you need wisdom right now? In particular, where do you need wisdom right now? We all need it. And so let's finish by thinking then, where do we get it? What is the foundation for wisdom? You see, these opening verses, they set up the book of Proverbs. They give us a glimpse into the life of wisdom, what that involves. It hints at why it is that all of us need it. But then it finishes by pointing us to the foundation uh, for wisdom. 
See, verse 7 here is sort of the climax of the whole passage. Everything kind of builds up to this, and it kind of actually stands as a sort of banner for the entire book. And so it doesn't give us the whole picture of exactly how we get wisdom and, and where we get wisdom from. We have to read the rest of the book for that. But it does give us the starting point. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, knowledge here is kind of held up as kind of a synonym to wisdom. Later in chapter 9, you'll see the same kind of verse, but it says the, beginning of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This really is the foundation for wisdom. It's the starting point. It's the beginning. You think of it like an entry gate. You've got to enter through. You can't get through any other way. You have to go through this gate. You cannot have God's wisdom without the fear of the Lord. That's how significant this is. But it's not like a gate that you just pass through and that you can kind of forget about. It's the foundation. This undergirds any wisdom we might want to gain. The fear of the Lord. The whole book of Proverbs is to be read through this. Every individual proverb is to be read through this. And that is how crucial this verse is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, what is that? Well, the, the rest of the verse of, in verse 7 gives us a kind of contrast that helps us understand what the fear of the Lord is. Uh, fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, the fool covers his ears. The fool pretty much rejects everything that we've looked at so far, that the world is ordered by God, that there is a way to live well that has been determined by God, that we all need wisdom. The fool is having none of it. The fool is utterly convinced of his own direction in life, of his own approach to the world. He's characterized by this hardness of heart that leaves no room for God in the picture. And he's marked by a pride that dares to declare that there is no God. And so against that contrasting image, we can start to see what the fear of the Lord is. It is a reverence and an awe before the living God of the universe. It isn't this fear and dread that causes you to run away. It is a fear and reverence that stops you in your tracks and leads you to worship. This is how one writer puts it. It's a new way of looking at life and seeing what it is meant to be when viewed from God's perspective. It's this fundamental recalibration, a fundamental reorientation of our heart of hearts in the depths of our being, that God is God. And so what we find here is that the foundation for living well, see, we want to live well, we want to do life well. Well, the foundation for living well is the fear of the Lord. This world doesn't revolve around us. The world doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. And we need to have this fundamental reorientation of our hearts. The pastor of our church back in the UK used to put it like this. We need to undergo a Copernican revolution. All these science class references, sorry. Uh, the Copernican revolution, when we thought that the sun revolved around the earth, and then we discovered actually, no, the earth revolves around the sun. 
We're not at the center of the world. The world does not revolve around us. God is at the center. And we are guests of a reality that is bigger than us. See, instead of the pride that dares to declare that there is no God, the fear of the Lord is marked by a humility that cannot but confess there is a God. There is a God. And yet there's more. You'll notice what it says here, verse 7, the fear of the Lord. It doesn't say the fear of God in some abstract manner. It is the fear of the Lord. And the Lord here is God's covenant name. It's his personal name that he revealed to Moses in the burning bush. And he promised that he would rescue his people. It's not just this fear of a God out there, the fear of the fo- a force that's bigger than us. No, it is a recognition of the God who rescues his people, who's revealed himself to us, who's promised himself to his people, and who has followed through on every one of those promises. Uh, This is the God who rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, This is the God who has rescued each one of us from our sin. Even though we have spent our lives trying to live as if there is no God, as if we are at the center of the room that we walk in, as if we are in the center of the world that we live in. Even though we spend our days trying to pretend that we don't need wisdom from God, we've got it ourselves. That there isn't a way to live that's determined by God, but that actually it's up to us to make whatever we want of the world around us. See, Jesus was the only one to perfectly live the life of wisdom. He was the only one to properly do life well. He is the only one who truly embodied the fear of the Lord. But then in his death, he looked like an utter fool. He looked like he had fallen out of step with reality, out of step with God's favor. And yet it was precisely through that that he rescued us. What looked like utter utter foolishness to the world was in fact the wisdom of God on display in all its glory. And it's as we grasp that, as that sinks in, that our hearts will grow in humility, that we will be stopped in our tracks in reverence and awe of the God who rescues, the God who is God. It will be as that sinks in that we will be filled with a depth of gratitude that drives us to worship. It's as that sinks in that it will instill in us the fear of the Lord. See, it's not simply that we confess there is a God. It's far, far more than that. If we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we declare, you are my God. You are my God. And I am yours. Friends, do you want to live well? Do you want to do life well? Do you want to be a person who is marked by wisdom, who grows in wisdom? 
on the foundation for living well is the fear of the Lord. The foundation for living well is the fear of the Lord. And so as we close, let me ask just two questions of us. See, if we haven't yet put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will you turn away from living as if there is no God? Will you turn back from that? What we've seen here in Proverbs is that if we live as if there is no God, we're going against the grain of reality. We're out of step with the way the world has been made. And even if for now, momentarily, we are experiencing peace and prosperity, it is setting us on a trajectory to destruction. This prologue is actually pretty humbling, if you think about it. Will you turn back? Maybe you're not ready to make that kind of decision now. Maybe there's still big questions in your mind. How do we know this is true? How does this all work? What would this mean for me? If that is you, can I urge you, wrestle with them. Don't delay. Because the day is coming when Jesus will return. We sang about this earlier. Everyone will see him as he is, and there will be no one, no one who can say there is no God. Will you turn back? If we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, here's a question for you. Will you begin each day by praying, you are my God? See, it is surprisingly easy to gather together on a Sunday to sing God's praises. You know, we love it. And then comes Monday, and we totally forget it all. And we start reverting to living life as if there is no God, just kind of doing it our own way, charting our own course through life. Well, will we commit now where we're sitting in our heart of hearts to begin tomorrow and the day after by praying, you are my God. And maybe we are frazzled by the busyness of life at the moment. And maybe we're weighed down by anxiety after anxiety. Maybe life is just difficult. Will we remember that the foundation for living well is the fear of the Lord. All those situations, what do we do? How do we do it? When do we do it? This doesn't resolve everything. This won't be the quick fix. It just makes life easy. But it is the starting point. Will you begin each day by praying, you are my God, and then letting that shape the rest of the day? The foundation for living well is the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you uh, that you are the maker of heaven and earth. This world is your world. And we thank you for the life that you've given us, the breath you have given us. And we pray that you would instill in our hearts the fear of the Lord that we might live well in this world that you have made. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.